welcome my little murderheads to Killers and Coffee, part of the Unity Podcast Network. Make sure you like and follow us on Twitter at Unity Podnet, on Facebook at Unity Network 41, on Instagram at Unity Podcast, and our YouTube channel. While you're at it, make sure to visit our website at www.unitypodcastnetwork.com. My name is Jess. I'm Devin. And we're cousins to love murder history and serial killers, which is not weird. We've decided. We, it's not weird. It's, it's not runs weird. in the family, I guess. It's not weird at all. What's what's new with you? How was your weekend? Um, it was all right. My daughter was sick the whole weekend, so we oh. kind of just stayed in, and uh, I didn't catch anything. So, well, that's good. The crisis averted. Um, no, no, it's pretty good. How's yours? Uh, I just worked. Nice. I worked. You gotta make a living somehow. We can't be serial killers. <laughs> I mean, not that we, we want to be. We but... could be, but you know, <laughs> not that we want to be. I'm gonna throw my little disclaimer out there, um, since we are doing an official case this week, which is super exciting. I'm really excited. Okay. Um, we will be talking about murder, believe it or not, and it can be a little touchy. We're gonna be talking about rape assault sexual assault alcoholism drug use so proceed with caution please if you're not into that why are you here simple as that (laughs) so what's in your coffee cup this week well remember last week my sob story about my adam amaretto creamer yes and you said it not me I had manifested it I told last you. week. I we we recorded our intro. The next day, I went into the grocery store, and there it was: three bottles, and I bought all of them. A podcast miracle. A podcast miracle. So I have some Dunkin' iced with amaretto creamer today. There you go. I um I did follow up on your creamer choice and. The store I went to had many, so that must have not have been where you went, but um, I did not care for it. Hmm. I think it was very, it was too almondy, but it is amaretto, mm-hmm. so. See, that's why I love it. That's weird, because I like amaretto, like the the, the liqueur. Mm-hmm. Do you, weird. do you like hazelnut flavored? I love hazelnut. But that's so weird. That's, uh, that's one of the reasons I like it, because it reminds me of hazelnut. Oh, I don't think there's like hazelnut at all. Really? I do. Oh, all right. Well, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so if you didn't like my amaretto, what do you have? Okay, so I have my classic mixture because I finally went and got more caramel syrup. <laughs> I used my typical donut shop K-cup, brewed it over my ice, and I put my... um cold stone sweet cream creamer in there that's my favorite combination of cream and caramel and coffee i like it i think this is my third one today i this this is my third coffee as well today and i'm i'm really excited because i have to take a test after this so i I needed some coffee yeah it just so happens that we need coffee for this as well okay perfect perfect because 
<laughs> All right, ready to jump into it? I am more than ready. Okay, so if you haven't heard, um, chlorophobia is the fear of clowns. I hardly think of happy clowns automatically. When somebody tells me about a clown, I automatically jump to Pennywise, Mm -hmm. I jump to the Joker, and I jump to John Wayne Gacy, which is our our, uh, specimen today. Killer of the day. I actually, while researching this, I, I heard something interesting, that the makeup that clowns put on their face have specific angles, um, the lines, you know how their mouths are rounded, um, their eye makeup is rounded. Well, apparently it is a psychology thing that the roundness of the makeup that they do is because round, like shapes like round instead of harsh angles and lines are more appealing to small children when their brains are developing. Oh, that's interesting. So if you note what Mr. Gacy's clown makeup looks like, it is not appealing to children. No, it's very sharp. It is. is. Yes, it is. And I feel like that's also, you can kind of um, put together like clowns, like a regular like birthday clown or like a happy clown versus like Pennywise or the Joker. A killer clown? What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) killer clown or even okay well i mean i guess pennywise is a killer clown but um like that like he's got diamonds mm-hmm. yeah the Joker, i thought it was really interesting yeah that is very interesting and it's very yeah. it's very psychologically interesting it is it is that's I what i'm here that. for <laughs> we have our 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 psychological mastermind here <laughs> <laughs> um so it's my. It's funny because my aunt is actually like she actually has like a phobia of clowns. Really. And I remember a story that my mom told me. Um, I think she was helping her move back from Colorado or to Colorado, and there was actually a car full of clowns in front of mm. them. Well, <laughs> mm. I mean, I have nothing against clowns, but I think that would freak me out. A hundred percent. Like oh were, were they were they in a VW bug? Because no, they were. If like not, a... what 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 was happening there? <laughs> I know I don't even. It was just maybe they were going to like a convention. I have I have no idea. Like I just I don't know the logistics of it. But that story just makes me laugh. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so like I said before, we're gonna be talking about John Wayne Gacy, aka the Killer Clown, Pogo the Clown, Patches the Clown. Um, he operated in the 70s. This is a little quick overview. Um, he operated in the 70s. He was actually able to maintain the image of normalcy as a husband, father, and as a clown for children's birthday parties and visiting sick kids and elderly in the hospital. Um, despite that persona, he still killed no less than 33 boys and men between 1972 and 1978. Um he had 26 victims buried in the crawl space under his house. Um, I think there was two more, two or three more on the property, and he hurled four bodies over mm-hmm. a bridge into the um, the the um, the Des Plaines River. Des, yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Which um, was only, I think, a, 
a few miles, if not less than a mile from his house. Which is, you'll see that a lot with serial killers. Um, And he was the most prolific serial killer of that time. He was, I Uh, think, even uh, one of the earliest, actually, in that time frame. I know um, Bundy was right after him as well. So he kind of, like, opened the, uh, the gates for a lot of other... Mm-hmm. Not so good people to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, this dude was, he was like the epitome of a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Perhaps a sociopath, but he was definitely a psychopath. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that he was able to maintain normalcy to the public. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's his, you know, we did the, the trigger warning thing. Like a lot of his killings were, they were not good you know they were they were not good as far as the brutality of his killings i've heard worse like you know this is very very typical of a predator of a murderer you know rape torture kill he he did he had it was more his personality like the way he could so easily separate being a well-known, well-liked people person, mm-hmm. and then being this horrible murderer, which so is essentially the definition of a psychopath. Yep. yep. Um. He his method of murder was strangulation. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into it later. He did what he called the rope trick, yep. which I was I was actually watching the Gacy tapes today. And he actually like explained it that they said that they put um put a rosary around his on someone I think it was the cop said that he put a rosary around his wrist and then said the wrist was the like it signified the the neck of the victim and then he put a pencil in it and twisted the pencil so it essentially tightened itself. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly how he did it, except he didn't use a pencil and a rosary, he used rope and I think a hammer handle. Mm-hmm. which is, I mean, talk about, I don't think you would die right away, so that's pretty torturous in itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's <sighs> it's it's definitely something. And like I said, there's there's been murderers that have Done been worse, a lot yeah. more brutal to their victims, but mm-hmm. he just, the way his brain worked, I mean, he told these, these boys and these young men what he was going to do to them. Like, he mm-hmm. wanted them to mm-hmm. suffer, from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Um, let's talk about his birth and his upbringing first, just to kind of get a background of his psychology. Um, John Wayne Gacy was born on March 17th, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois, to parents John Stanley Gacy and Marion Elaine Robison. Um, he was named after actor John Wayne, uh, he was the second and only male child. He had two sisters, <clears throat> but he was the only one that grew up fucked up. Mm-hmm. In layman's yep. terms, yeah. I also, I also did note specifically that he had none of the McDonald Triad symptoms growing up. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm gonna, That's I'm gonna take note of that on every case because I'm really yeah. curious to see how right. that plays out. 
exactly mm-hmm. and i did see i did see that in your notes and i i knew you were going to bring it up so i didn't <laughs> add it in my notes um his father was an alcoholic auto mechanic he served in the world war he served in world war one and his mother was a regular housewife his mother was i mean his mother was okay i mean mm-hmm. aside from being abused by his father as well mm-hmm. his mother kind of like his gacy kind of like doted on his mother a little bit mm-hmm. yeah um Gacy denied, but later claimed that his father was an abusive alcoholic who would regularly beat him and his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, because Gacy, when he was growing up, he was a bit effeminate, um, and he couldn't meet his father's approval no matter what he did. And he'll there's he said that in his in his uh, interrogation tapes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, his father was just straight up disappointed. He couldn't live up to the name that he was given, John Wayne. Yeah. He was a badass, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there was a you know part of it too was that he was the only other male in the house, right? And, so like, you know, knowing that mm-hmm. he was, he was a little less than pleased with how he was growing up. His father, mm-hmm. you know, and his mother, um, babied him, from what I understand, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that didn't sit well with uh, Mr. Stanley. Mm-hmm. So but I would imagine he just got the even more of the brunt of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was the middle child, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, you and I both are middle children. Mm-hmm. Well, you're like second <laughs> middle. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, being a middle child is a little, it's a little hard. <laughs> Um, I'm not, I'm not giving him any excuses by all means, but, uh, he didn't have it easy. He, he, he had it, he had it rough from every, every angle. He was definitely not right from the beginning, but his father didn't help and his situation didn't help. So, and we are by no means victimizing John Wayne Gacy. But he did have a pretty rough upbringing, mm-hmm. and it does make sense. Yeah, as to and how that's he yeah, like the way we, he did. <laughs> we mentioned in the intro, like he didn't have any, you know, of the McDonald Triad symptoms. But he, this is all trauma. It's mm-hmm. it's trauma that he suffered from. What I understand, he was an infant. Mm-hmm. You know, not only was he abused, but he saw abuse. And that definitely changes the way you develop and the way you engage with your environment and mm-hmm. made him who he was as a person, essentially. Yeah. Bedwetting or not, he mm-hmm. still he still had childhood trauma in the form mm-hmm. of physical and verbal abuse by his father. Yep. Um and he did suffer verbal abuse as well. He, his father called him names. He mm-hmm. belittled him, degraded him, said he would never amount to anything. He went as far as to call him stupid, said he was worse than his sisters, and predicted Gacy would, quote unquote, probably grow up queer. Mm-hmm. Um, but his mother, Gacy's mother, would try to protect him from the abuse from his father. But she received the abuse as well because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and his father called Gacy a mama's boy and a sissy. Um, it's just, I, it doesn't make me happy that Gacy's mother was receiving abuse for being a mother. 
Like, that's her job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure, for sure. And I think she, it seemed like she tried to, you know, comfort him and be there for him as much as possible. But let's face it, it was his father. It was, mm-hmm. it was his attitude toward all of them. His mother didn't seem to really do anything wrong. I mean, right. it was, it was the 40s and 50s, you know, when he was uh-huh. growing up. So that's kind of just where a woman stood then the the man of the house was in charge exactly so um i'm sure it didn't help you know all his health conditions that yeah you'll you'll get into here he kind of was was a little defenseless i guess in a way Uh yeah um so his the the sexual abuse kind of started at a pretty young age um at five he was said to be fondled by a 15 year old girl at seven he and a friend were caught fondling a girl at school which was kind of like brushed off as kids will be kids from what i read um uh at eight he was molested by a man in his 30s who was a family friend and contractor who frequent frequented the gacy home And Gacy wouldn't report this abuse because of the nature of the relationship between this man and his father. Yeah. I can only imagine what he, what his father would have said or done to him had he brought this up. I can imagine that his father would have either a called him a liar. One was saying that he made like made it up, was looking for attention, um, probably beat him for, this man touching him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would have just been more. I could kind of understand, again, not condoning anything Gacy did, but I could understand how, you know, an eight-year-old boy with the environment he was in in his home life would be too scared to say anything about it exactly. and risk the consequences. Exactly. Um, not only that, but he did have health issues, like you had mentioned. Um, growing up, he was overweight. He had a heart condition that made it difficult for him to engage in sports or to even like lose weight if that was mm-hmm. an issue. Um, and he suffered from blackouts in the fourth grade, which he that put him in the hospital several times. In between the ages of fourteen and eighteen, Gacy missed a total of one year of school curriculum from being in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But his father believed that he was faking his illnesses to avoid school and gain sympathy. Which, I mean, if you're a sick kid and your dad doesn't believe that you're a sick kid, I, I couldn't even, I can't even imagine. Yeah, the last thing you would want to do is make yourself seem sick. Exactly. So then your father could be mad at you. I'd, I'd want to be in school. <laughs> right. Just to right. get away. To get away from the dad, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can imagine that his mom was probably the one who took care of all that. Yeah, I would think so. Um, And that's, I mean, if he was making it up, that's a whole other thing. That's Munchausen's. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But um, we'll move on to his young adulthood, which is kind of where things started to go downhill a little bit. (laughs) Um, Gacy began getting involved in politics at age 18. He decided to work for the Democratic Party. Um, that led to further alienation from his father, who frowned upon his political activism. But despite, his father still bought Gacy a car. But that just proved to be another means of control and belittlement because he was expected to pay the car off, and that took years. And his father would take the keys away whenever he was displeased with Gacy. 
Um, So he kind of just held the car over his head. Yeah, which just adds more fuel to the fire. Mm -hmm. Um, One time after an altercation over the car, Gacy drove to Las Vegas to try making it on his own, where he worked as an attendant at Palm Mortuary. Um, And this is where he began to exhibit bizarre behavior. Um, He actually climbed into the coffin of a teenage boy so that he could caress the body. Yeah. It it caused an episode of shock for Gacy, and he evidently returned to Chicago. Um, That was where, that was, like, the first, I mean, aside from his, like, childhood um, fondling a little girl at school and being Mm -hmm. fondled, that was kind of, like, where his his brain started to yeah something definitely clicked there i mean mm-hmm. what kind of person even thinks is that it to might climb be interesting to climb into a coffin oh my like, god i know the I thought was... alone signaled a problem but then to think that you know touching caressing fondling a dead body mm-hmm. was was essentially enjoyable for him it I like a what like want... Yeah, I wouldn't even want to climb into a coffin by myself, let alone with a dead body. Like, there was, there was, I went to a, um, um, I think it was the Valley of Fear with my, um, Mm. with my siblings and my boyfriend, like, you know, in October. And they had, like, a coffin ride. And my brother and my sister went in there, and I almost had a panic attack for them. Hmm. And, like, something, something like that, like, I don't think that would bother me so much, but, like, there's a difference between like seeing props and see and like knowing that something's fake or made for a ride or for, you know, a spooky factor. But then like being in an actual mortuary and like seeing a coffin that you know has a real person in it and then and you're deciding just like, okay. to get in. Like So the thing with the coffin ride though is like it moved and the sounds that it was making simulated being buried alive, which oh, really creeps oh, me out. And that's like yeah. a whole nother level. Like we're not talking about that right now, but like, that's, that's like one of my biggest fears of being buried yeah. alive. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, off track there, but I just wanted to <laughs> throw important information. <laughs> yeah. If you ever want to bother me, bury me alive. Like that's, that's <laughs> the information I'm providing to people. Right. Um, <laughs> moving on. Um, so after that whole episode, um, he returned home to Chicago mm-hmm. and went to Northwestern Business College. He graduated in 1963. Um, this actually indicated that Gacy was on a successful path. Yeah, he was actually really smart from yeah. what, what I gathered. He was really intelligent as far as understanding people understanding how to manipulate Mm -hmm. people but Mm -hmm. but really just convincing people of anything he wanted yeah and Um. it's definitely not a good thing but it will get you places he was the textbook definition of a narcissistic psychopath Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) um but yeah he actually had he had an iq of 118 wow that was in my one of my books. Wow. Um, so after he graduated, he became a salesman and manager of his department at the Nunbush Shoe Company in Springfield, Illinois. 
um, that I feel like you don't, you don't, I didn't read a whole lot about his shoe company job. Um, but I, I think that the main reason for the information was that he was becoming a businessman. Yeah. Which will lead to the issues. Yeah. I mean, typically shoe companies, I I feel like especially back then when, you know, buying handmade nice shoes and then getting them professionally fixed and cleaned. And it was, Uh it was more of a thing than it is now. And I feel like a, a shoe store, especially even now is a very person to person, um, type of like retail work like and he probably thrived in that company knowing it might have been on commission or he had to engage one-on-one with his customers and do what he could to make them happy Mm -hmm. and it sounds very backwards for him as we'll learn in a little bit here but that's what he was good at in that side of his life is doing anything he he could to kind of keep everybody happy and like off his trail. Mm -hmm. And I think also the whole being a manager aspect has to do with also his need for being in control as well. Yep. Yep. Um, So eventually Gacy met Marlon Myers, who he proposed to in March of 1964. And they got married in September of the same year. Gacy was 22. Which is, it's crazy to me that he was so young still. Mm-hmm. Like, when all this is happening, I, like, I think of, like, an older man. But, like, I know he's older when he gets into his crimes and stuff. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's very, it's, appeal- like, it's very intriguing to me. Yeah, it is. I saw, um, I watched the uh, Peacock special on him and one of the clips of him when he was this age he was he was still a larger man, but not as large as like the in the interviews and the tapes and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but he had dark curly hair, and I was really shocked. I was like, "That's not how I would have pictured him," you know, younger based on what he looked like when he yeah. was in prison and all of that, being larger with like white hair. Mm-hmm. Like when he so was arrested, he had like right, salt and pepper hair. Yeah. Right, like he definitely um, looked young. He, and he looked pretty jolly for the most part as well. <laughs> well he's, he he was going to become a clown. So right, he's, right. we don't know that know. yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after Gacy and Marlon got married, Gacy became a member of the U.S. Junior Chamber in Springfield. He worked hard. He excelled. But he had a new homosexual encounter one drunken night with a colleague. So, I mean, I don't know if this is where his touch of homosexuality came into play. Um, but that's, it seems to me that's kind of where it started. Yeah. Um, so he moved to Waterloo, Iowa because his father-in-law owned a string of KFCs. Um, and that's like, that's kind of one of those tidbits that I feel like a lot of people who know about John Mangacy knows that. Mm -hmm. Um, but he had a strong salary, he had a share in the profits, and it set him on a path for a successful family life. Um, he, he became a manager. He was managing the string of KFCs. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gacy and Marlon had a son and a daughter in 90, I mean, excuse me, 90, 1966 <laughs> and 1967, respectively. 
Um, this is when he finally gained some respect from his father, who actually apologized for the years of abuse in July of 1966. Yeah, I mean, he finally, you know, whether it was legit or not, you know, whether he actually had the heterosexual feelings, it didn't mm-hmm. matter. It was he was finally doing what his father wanted and expected him to do, which is grow up, be successful, get married to a woman, have children. Mm-hmm. Just be a family and, and live your life the way it was expected at that time. Yeah. And that was, I mean, yeah, like that, that was the time. That was your, what you were supposed to do when you were mm-hmm. a man in the 60s. Yep. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this time in Waterloo, Iowa. Um, he joined the JCs. He received many honors and held key offices. Um, but this is Waterloo, Iowa is when or where the dark side of Gacy began to emerge Mm -hmm. when he sexually assaulted a 15 year old named Donald Voorhees in August of 1967. Um, So real, real quick, um, just because I specifically remember the JCs, he was, he was in charge of recruitment and the JCs were like a business entrepreneurship type of political group i guess um okay and he he was so good with people and you know the more people you got to join the chapters i guess the better so he was in charge of recruiting new members to this waterloo chapter how how he got the people to join them you know one might think let's take them out for a beer like let's Mm -hmm. you know talk to them about our chapter no he had parties where he would you know serve alcohol and drugs to minors to minors and anybody that he wanted to join these chapters of of the jc's and they would watch porn so that that really fed into his problems as yeah. well <laughs> um, I'm actually glad that you uh cleared that up because I wasn't really 100% sure like what the JCs were and that's like yeah, something I, I'm everything not, I, I didn't quite understand either but that's I'm not really great with political things um yeah. but that's kind of the idea I got like they were politically based yeah. but it was more about businessmen and how to An gather right gather businessmen together and you know, just kind of lean on each other, like that type of thing, to my understanding. Yeah. Very well said. <laughs> um, so with the sexual assault of Donald Voorhees, mm-hmm. like you said, he lured the boy into his home with heterosexual pornography. Um, he got the boy drunk man- and manipulated him into p- performing oral sex on him. Um, in March 1968, Voorhees decided to report the abuse to his father, John, who just so happened to be a state representative, who later mm-hmm. informed the police. Um, <laughs> this was the not-so-smart Gacy here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so Gacy was arrested, and he claimed that the encounter was consensual, and they were going to use it as political blackmail because he was running against... Voorhees as JC chapter president. Um, This failed and Gacy was charged with oral sodomy. Um, He was sentenced to 10 years and was sent to Anamosa State Penitentiary. Mm -hmm. Um, 
In Anamosa State Penitentiary, he underwent psychiatric evaluation by doctors of the University of Iowa, where he was concluded to likely be a psychopath, a sociopath, or both. Mm-hmm. Likely. There was, yeah. <laughs> well, um, the series that I watched, um, I they, watch <laughs> yeah, it was really good. They had a, I don't, I don't Honestly, I don't remember. I don't want to say it was the doctor because he would have been very old, but it, whoever was reporting on the um, documentation from his testing, they basically said, like, this man does not need to come in contact with the outside world. Like, he, he needs to be locked up mm-hmm. because he, he is just not right. And, uh, he was and right. This, and this was <laughs> documented. But they let him out anyway. They let him out anyway. We'll get there. <laughs> um, so after the day after Gacy's sentencing, his wife, Marlon Myers, asked for a divorce and custody of their two children, which resulted in Gacy not seeing his children or Marlon after September 1969. Like, never saw him again. Mm-hmm. Which is a little sad, but well I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were. After all, everything came out. I'm sure they were just heartbroken about it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Despite not talking or seeing him, or um, but in Anamosa, he worked as a cook. He was actually very, very well liked. Yeah, I, I um, I really got the feeling that he he just played right into that, like that mm-hmm. side of him. He talked to everybody. He did things for everybody. He got mm-hmm. people things, and he just he became well known around the prison, and like you yeah. said, well liked. There was something interesting that I saw that, and again in this this documentary series, that the guards were the only ones that wore white shirts. Um, prisoners wore you know whatever denim jumpsuits or whatever it was mm-hmm. at that point. Um, he managed to get himself allowed to wear a white shirt. Well, wasn't he was like, and and some of the things that I was when, when I watched the Gacy tapes on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, his like chef uniform was white. Yeah, so he was like looked at as, as a higher figure. up yeah. than all the other prisoners. He he yeah. got them a golf course at it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They said if he I, had been there when the golf course was actually put in, it would have been named after him, but he had gotten let out before it actually got there. (laughs) Oh God. Could you imagine? Mm -hmm. Like, welcome to the John Wayne Gacy golf course. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) At Animus and State Penitentiary. Um, I think they did, did, I don't know if you read this or if I'm like imagining this or making it up, but did he kind of like, was there kind of like a JC kind of chapter in Animosa? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. He kind of formed like a little group in there too. Yeah. yeah. He just, he did whatever he wanted. That's right. He, he did whatever he wanted. To get people to like him. <laughs> yep. Um, so while he was in Animosa on Christmas day, 1969, his father passed away. Um, he kind of, I, as far as I know, like from the tapes, it seemed like he was kind of never got the chance to really like, um, get some closure with his father and I think that mm-hmm. kind of probably didn't do well for his brain either yeah I'd wonder like I mean even though his father apologized and like things were kind of smoothed over for the time being 
I didn't I didn't read or hear anything that said kind of how their relationship was once he went back to prison because that mm-hmm. kind of backtracked everything that he had done right to yeah. make his father proud of him. Yeah, so I don't that was only I, like three years. Right. Like so that. I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine they would have been on the best terms, you know. For two years. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 He was like, Oh, I thought you were a family man. Oh, you're going to jail because you molested somebody. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Um but so like we said, Gacy was released after eighteen months because he was a quote unquote model prisoner. Mm-hmm. Um he was paroled in June of nineteen seventy. Um, under the condition that he moves in with his mother back in Chicago and had a 10 p.m. curfew. Yep. So imagine how good of a prisoner you have to be to get sentenced 10 years and get paroled after 18 months. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it probably helped that he, like, helped with, like, the job and mm-hmm. putting these clubs together and building a golf course and yeah. but this wear- the, wearing know. white. <laughs> yeah. The, the late 60s, early 70s prison system, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm not there. Um, <clears throat> all right. So we're going to move on to what this happened is, this is back in Chicago. This is where, where, we get where it. it gets interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Where we get into it. Um, he started his own, I guess it was his own contracting company, yep. right? Yep, PDM. He started it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Painting, um, decorating. Maintenance. Maintenance. Yep. Um. I on on the tapes he was like, "What does PDM stand for?" Someone asked him, and he was like, "Pretty damn messy and Polish <laughs> something." I don't know. But, oh, he loved like, the Polish. Well, his I think his dad was Polish. Yeah, he. I mean, he went on later. Uh, we'll mention it at some point. Hosted all kinds of political parties. He ran like a, the Polish parade, and he in the documentary I, I watched, he was. And they were interviewing him, and he was saying, "Imagine how good it had, it, how good it had felt for me to be in charge of leading all of these Polish people in a parade, like just <laughs> very full of himself." Yeah, we got some Polish in us. <laughs> we do. <laughs> um, um, <clears throat> so moving on, um, PDM contractor contractors. Um, he typically hired boys in between sixteen and twenty. Um, and he successfully grew this business into an enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, in February 1971, Gacy was arrested again after a teenager accused him of trying to force him into sex. Um, but the boy never showed up to court. Charges, mm-hmm. charges were dropped and Iowa Patrol Board was never notified of this arrest. Mm-hmm. So he did not break his parole or probation or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and his parole period ended in the fall of 1971, so he got pretty damn lucky. Yep. Because that was, like, seven months, eight months. Yeah, and I guess at that point, (laughs) everything was on paper, and because it crossed state Mm -hmm. lines, um, there was no direct transfer of that paper information. It's actually kind of just moved back to Chicago and started a whole new life. Yeah, and I don't even think, I don't even think these days, like, if you're paroled in a state, I don't think you can live in another state. I don't think so either. So, I mean, like you said. I wouldn't know personally, but I don't Yeah, me neither, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So, after, I guess, he was allowed to move out of his mother's house, he bought his Mm -hmm. own home in Norwood Park Township. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really funny that, like, his, his address is so public. 
8213 West Somerdale Avenue. Like, yeah. it's so public. It's very generic. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just the fact that, like, his address is just out there. Yeah. Well, it was, I mean. I mean, it's, I, it plays I a big imagine. part. Yeah, like, I'm sure it was all over the news, like, when, you know, the bodies were being recovered and everything, like, you kind of can't You're hide it at that away. point. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think everybody knows what happens. Oh, well, I did, I did say that in the summary. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Um, um, he so... actually just, I just want to note that okay. because he was still, from what I read, even though his parole, I guess, ended, his and he, he didn't have the curfew or have to live with his mom. Right. He bought the house and his mom moved in with him. So she actually oh, did lived he? Did in. She? Yeah, she actually oh, lived that. in that house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like when when he got married again, like was she still there? I don't. I don't know. Actually, there's nothing that, at least that I read, that tells what happened to her. Like maybe but, she passed away. Yeah. I I'm not sure. But all I read was that she moved into that Somerdale Ave house with oh, him. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, Gacy would reside and kill here until his arrest in 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, he found his place in the community. He was courteous and helpful whenever he could be which is what we've talked about already is just, he yep. just liked helping other people. Um, it helped him blend in <clears throat> and he used connections to host lavish parties, sometimes involving politicians. Um, his like, he loved to rub mm-hmm. shoulders with. The yeah. Elite. That's yeah. That's what I was saying. Like about the um, Polish parade, like it was some kind of political thing, but he also, like I said, I, I, I'm not good with, with politics I don't remember anybody anybody so there was there was something that happened and he actually ended up getting a secret service service agent pin and uh, posing as a secret service member Mm -hmm. and kind of being there for like the wives of all the politicians and everything and just he just talked his way into everything yeah, in well, all, he all had... of these really important parties and events and everything. Well, when they were doing like when they had the search warrants and stuff, and they were searching the houses, they found like fifty some different um, like jurisdictions of mm-hmm. police badges too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like how he could get his pull, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> in nineteen seventy two. John Wayne Gacy remarried to Carol Hoff. She was a divorced mother of two. They knew each other in high school. But eventually, Gacy told Carol he was bisexual, which not long after affected the marriage. In Mm -hmm. 1975, Gacy tells Carol they would no longer sleep together. Um, I I heard this was was on Mother's Day. Oh, Lovely. That he said that to her. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. I don't want to yeah, sleep with you exactly. anymore. <laughs> um, he would come home late, spend more time outside, and Carol even saw Gacy bringing teenage boys into the home. And she found gay pornography, wallets, and IDs of young men. Yeah, so I, um, from what I understand, she knew about his... Uh-huh his um charges his prior charges and was still okay marrying him and moving oh. her kids in with him so like carol by this point <laughs> you you don't what are you doing, to have carol? a say like what are you doing carol 
there was one of the books I was in one of the books I was reading um I wonder if I can find it real quick um said that or maybe it was I think it was the book I was reading on my phone um said that one of his wives actually like helped him or not helped him but like kind of was in on a couple um like assaults like but I don't I don't know like which one it was but I mean if you're that doesn't make sense to me well just pretend I didn't read it none of it makes (laughs) sense to me (laughs) let's be real (laughs) let's be real yeah um so this his second marriage fell apart and it ended in divorce in march 1976 so nice little four-year marriage there (laughs) um all right so moving on to the clown stuff mm. um the killer clown that's like his his pseudo not a pseudonym alter ego. ego oh yeah um <coughs> gacy joined a clown club <coughs> excuse me a clown club that's so funny a clown club <laughs> called the jolly joker um it had volunteer clowns he did not get paid for this um the Volunteer clowns performed for sick children and elderly people. That's what I saw on the tapes. Like, you would go mm. and... Yeah, I saw, like, orphanages and stuff, too. Yeah. Which, those poor children. Like, they didn't have yeah. enough to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Um, and events. Like, I think a couple of the parades and stuff, he dressed as a clown. Um, and he became a part-time clown known as Pogo. And I... There's some things... It was mostly Pogo, but there's also Patches. Um, being a clown actually helped facilitate some of his murders because Gacy would talk some victims into handcuffing themselves so he could show them the quote handcuff trick and the quote rope trick or clown act Um, Gacy would lure his victims by promising the young boys a job at PDM or by pretending to be a sheriff Um, and then he would handcuff them say like hey look at this trick and eventually, I think the, the handcuff trick was he would put handcuffs on himself behind his back and without the key, well, without the key, quote, undo the handcuffs. And then he would say to the boys, hey, you do it now. Mm-hmm. And they would be like, how do I get out of it? And he'd be like, oh, with the key. <laughs> yeah, I'd so have they to were basically double fucked. check. Yeah, I'd have to double check the the name of, but there was one boy that he, um, from what I remember, he did not assault him or anything. Um, he got but out he, of it. he yeah he tried he you know invited him over wanted to show him porn and get him drunk whatever with that, um, with the goal of you know him being another one of his his mm-hmm. rapes and murders. But this boy, which he, he Gacy did not know, was actually a wrestler. And when he tries this little maneuver on him, he did not um, tie the, or click the handcuff all the way in Mm -hmm. and ended up turning uh, Gacy, who was a bigger man, on his back and pinning him down. And then Gacy was like, all right, go. (laughs) It was Tony Antonucci. Yes. 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 Um, uh, Yeah, and in the Gacy tapes, 
Tony Antonucci actually said that Gacy said to him, you are the only person that has gotten out of the handcuffs mm-hmm. and also got them on me because after mm-hmm. he wrestled to the ground, he put Gacy in the handcuffs. Yeah. Which, as a teenage boy, you're like, what do you mean the only one? How many people do you do this to? Right. Mm. And I don't even think he had killed anybody yet by this point. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, but that's that's what he would do. He would handcuff them, rape them, torture them. And then he would execute the rope trick, which I I explained earlier. And that was the way his way of finishing the job mm-hmm. via strangulation. Um, so let's talk about Gacy's first murder. Um, his first victim was Timothy McCoy, age 18. I had another source tell me he was 16. And I had two different dates of yes, death. I think- 16 is what I read, and then the third, I believe, January 3rd. Yeah. I had, like I said, like, there's literally, I had two different, two different things. Yeah, I Um, think he, he was one of, um, McCoy was one of the ones that wasn't immediately identified. Um, they later found out that he was the first one. Probably because of the confessions and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, it makes sense, like, considering the story. Mm-hmm. because like the story tells us that it was his first one and that's kind of how he got his his like like rises from it right like from killing mm-hmm. um but this is what happened so gacy lured the boy into his car um at the greyhound bus terminal in chicago which is where he would would find boys in the future mm-hmm. um which is kind of i think in the 70s was really yeah not a hard thing to do you know it was mm-hmm. like hey do you need a ride sure like, yeah well there and there was also a lot of like homosexuality was kind of frowned upon back then so like a lot of like homosexual boys would kind of like run, i don't want to say like run away but i run away yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yep so they i guess mccoy kind of took solace in Mm -hmm. someone being interested in picking him up and taking him sightseeing which is what they did Mm -hmm. um gacy said the boy could stay the night at his home so we don't have to worry about catching the bus at some point in the night gacy like went to go lay down he um something kind of startled him and he woke up um and mccoy was standing at his bedroom door with a kitchen knife Gacy was alarmed and attacked McCoy. Gacy took control of the knife and bashed McCoy's head against the wall and pinned him to the ground, then stabbed him multiple times in the chest. Um, Afterwards, Gacy went to the kitchen where he saw McCoy had prepared like a little thank you meal for them, and that's why he was holding a knife when he went to go call Gacy to the meal. Um, Gacy, I mean, on, in, in McCoy's, not defense, but, like, why was he still holding a knife when he went to go to yeah. call somebody for dinner or yeah. breakfast or whatever meal it was? Um, but I'm not saying, like, hey, you should have put the knife down to be alive right now, but, like... But like he, he, how would he have known? That, right. 
who gave after was. someone who was being so nice to him you know right. like i think it's just is it just a casual like oh let me go and call him for breakfast i just oh, happened okay. to not put the knife down like it was right. so innocent sounding mm-hmm. they probably didn't even think anything of it like oh this no. is just in my hand i'm gonna go get this guy who's being so nice to me and i'm pretty sure they they i think they wound up having sex right or something like that or some sort of some sort of sexual encounter um to be honest i don't recall um when i was reading on the mccoy like story it really was more just about the whole shock of of the the way it happened that Mm -hmm. gacy attacked him when he was just trying to be nice and it kind of just to me um my my brain just immediately went immediately went to the whole just underlying like monster that he is and Mm -hmm. i i guess i'm maybe absolutely didn't check to see if there was actually any sexual con like content there or if it just stopped so so i do think that i recall when i was watching the gacy tapes just talking about this and like you know how i told you they didn't even mention the why he was holding a knife mm-hmm. in the bedroom door yeah. or whatever um but i do think that gacy actually said that they had sex but okay. i mean i think yeah i think a lot of it the interviews with gacy himself what do you actually believe mm-hmm. you know like this could have been just making himself like the story that he's telling could have just mm-hmm. been making himself look better Mm-hmm. So, you know, all we really know is that it was innocent to begin with, and then he ended up dead. Well, that's exact. that actually, that brings up a good point as to why he, did, why Gacy in the, in the confession tapes didn't even mention that he had made him a meal. hmm Yeah. Um, but, so, Gacy would actually later explain that this encounter brought him to orgasm, because the sights and sounds of death excited him so much. That's alarming. It's, it really is. Um, but there's a lot of serial killers like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you want to rattle off his other murders? Or do you have like things that you want to talk about? Um, I mean, I, I definitely want to, you know, list, list the boys' names. Because I think just... It, they deserve they, they They just need to be said. Um, we could, we could for sure do that now because the next part that we'll get into was his last murder. Mm -hmm. So if you would like me to. Okay. Okay. So we just went over Timothy McCoy was in 72. Um, John Butkovich in Mm -hmm. 75. There you go. I have their ages here too, if you are interested. Um, I mean, I I don't think we need to get that far. Okay. They were they were all you know six <clears throat> in between fifteen to 20, 40, yeah <laughs> right twenty two twenty three. I think there's mm-hmm. one one young man that was twenty six, and they were all like that was really old for him. But yeah, they're all about the same age. Yeah, too young too young to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daryl Sampson was in seventy six. Randall Reppet in seventy six. Samuel Stapleton seventy six. That's Michael the same day. Mm-hmm. And a lot Rapid of these Stapleton. were yeah, were a few a day. 
Um, Michael Bonin was in June of 76. William Carroll, June of 76. Rick Johnston, August of 76. And Gregory Godzik was in December of 76. So here's... Um, so, so real quick, I mm-hmm. actually have two in between there. In Do my you? Book. Yeah. It says Kenneth Parker, October 24th, 1976. And okay. William Bundy, October 26th, 1976. Oh, yeah. Was, that, was he one of the ones that they later... Re- identified it could have been yeah okay okay yeah i'm sure they get these like dates and stuff of like yeah. the decomposition of the body right and... right um okay so moving on to 77 uh john sizzik john prestige robert uh gilroy matthew bowman john maury russell metzen nelson sorry robert winch tommy bailing and david Kalsma. And, um, and and something to note also with most of these murders, well, a lot of these murders are all people that worked for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of them were. I mean, that was mm-hmm. his whole strategy. <laughs> Butkovich. Yeah. Sizzik. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then February of 78 was the first one of that year. It was William Kindred. So I have him as being the last one that was known besides the unidentified bodies he was the last one that was found and identified in his house or on his property um the remainder were in the river were in the river so Mm -hmm. tim o'rourke frank landigan james Mm -hmm. mazara and robert peast which is the one we'll get into yeah um i do want to quickly note before um robert peast there was one of the initial um, like red flags to police was a in 76 um, was another nine year old who was missing. And while that was a little young for him, um, I just have that noticed as noted as, you know, the police kind of were like, hmm, this guy has some things on his his uh, radar, you know, like he's kind of creepy Mm-hmm. But nothing relevant ever came out of it. Um, and then, bef- again, before Robert Peast was um, in March of 78, Jeff Rignow. Rignow. Yeah, that's. I actually wanted to bring that up, too. Yeah, he <laughs> becomes really important. So I have it, I have it listed as May. Okay. 78. Okay. Um, but just to like real quick go over it because it seemed like you kind of wanted to go over it too. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Rignall was kidnapped and chloroformed by John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Rignall was 26, so I guess yeah. he's the 26. Yeah, that was the older. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Gacy strapped Rignall to a torture rack, raped him for days with an assortment mm-hmm. of phallic prosthetics, mm-hmm. and dumped what he thought was his dead body in Lincoln Park. But Rignall survived and told the police the details of the attack. Yes. He, well, and there was can... actually a few survivors. There was, yes. Robert Donnelly was the other one that I had um, down. But uh, actually, Jeffrey Rignall will go on to testify. So we can just mention that again later uh, when we go into his trial. So he mm-hmm. becomes very important. He was in the, uh, he made a little, he made an appearance in the Gacy tapes yeah. on Netflix. He, too. he actually has a book as well oh does he mm-hmm. yeah i i i want to say it's called like tw- 26 and on something like that oh yeah that, um, that's but yeah 
I mean, if I survived that, I would write a book too. Oh, God. I know. So, all right. Do you want to move on to Robert Peast? Robert oh, Peast. The beginning of the end here, unfortunately. Gacy's last murder. Um, this is a, exactly where where the show ends for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Peast was, I guess, estimate or December eleventh, nineteen seventy eight. Is that was that his death? Was that his? I think that's. I think that's just the date they have from when he was reported missing. Yeah. Um, which I don't. It it couldn't have been more than a day or two. You know, he doesn't tend to keep them for very long, like alive. So. Yeah. So, Robert Peast was a fifteen-year-old boy who whose mother dropped him off to fill out a job application at the pharma, at a local pharmacy mm-hmm. um, called Nissen. Um, Gacy was providing a building estimate, <clears throat> and he ultimately lured Peace to his home. Um, Gacy wound up talking to Peace about a job working with him at PDM. Mm-hmm. His mother went to pick him up, and he wasn't there. Um, and eventually, Peace's disappearance was reported. Um, it was found out that Gacy was in the store at the time of his disappearance, which led to an investigation against Gacy. Yep. Um, Lieutenant Joseph Kozensack was the first investigator to suspect Gacy, who eventually they looked into his criminal background. Mm-hmm. And his sodomy charge in Waterloo came up. Yeah, that's when that when I um, remember they specifically called over to Iowa and mm-hmm. said, "Hey, we're looking at this guy for a disappearance. Do you do you have anything on him?" Um, like knowing that he lived in Iowa. Yeah, and that's when they pulled out their paper records and said, um, "Yeah, we do." <laughs> He's yeah. got a record. He's, he's a guy. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> um, so it, the, his criminal background further drove suspicion in Gacy's direction for the disappearance of Beast, um, which led to investigators watching Gacy very closely. Right. So so we we did go back and forth for a while on the yeah. on some some different things we heard from different sources that we were looking at so mad um, yes <laughs> I, I mean i think we figured it out i think we we no, you figured it enough out. And, and read <laughs> enough to p- put the pieces together i mean it's with with so many movies documentaries books it's everyone's kind of got a little a little different information so um december 11th was was what we think was the day that he was reported missing the <laughs> Once police kind of caught on that Gacy had a criminal history and they were really kind of looking at him, December 13th is when they um, got the first search warrant. Um, and they really found nothing. They, it was just a broad sweep of his house. They found a receipt, from what I understand, that was in um, for the pharmacy, like a photo yeah, so I actually, receipt? yeah, that was, I don't know if they talked about it in the Peacock series, but they talked yeah, about that a lot. Did. 
yep. in the Gacy tapes. It was another yes. woman's receipt. Mm-hmm. It was friends with Robert Peace. Yep. Um, she actually put the receipt in his pocket, in the coat pocket of Robert yeah. Peace. Yeah. Um, and they found that receipt in his home. Yep. And they knew from the girl that that was his. That was where he was Like going. it was in his jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't anything to indicate. Well, he murdered him, but it was definitely was something to cause the police to say, you know what, maybe we should watch him. Mm-hmm. So that kind of um, facilitated the twenty four seven surveillance that we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I the rest of my notes are wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I'll chime in when I need to. Um, the floor is yours. Okay, so the second search. Um, well, the whole time it was about ten days in between. Um. They were following him everywhere. They were waiting outside his house. They were following him to work jobs. And the whole time, Gacy was very friendly. Very, that's just who he was. Hey, hey, officers, how you doing? Do you need anything? Can I bring anything? Why don't you come in, you know, to the pub and get a beer with me? I'll buy you dinner. You know, just letting them know they, he didn't care that they were there. He had nothing to hide, allegedly. Um. So he had offered to make them dinner a cold December night on the, I want to say it was probably like the 20th, um, just given the dates of the second search that we have is uh-huh. the 21st. So probably the 20, maybe 19th, 20th, he'd invited the cops in for dinner, you know, come in, I'll cook you dinner. You have to sit outside and watch me anyway, um, made them dinner. So one of the police officers asked to use the bathroom. Um, went into the bathroom and apparently the heat kicked on and the bathroom just flooded with this smell of death. Uh-huh. Like, and, 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 and people and, who are detect like detectives <laughs> who work on yeah. homicides, they know that smell. Right. So immediately he called it in and, you know, we need to get on a search warrant for this. So some of the, the differences we had in our stories was that I guess the search warrant wasn't granted immediately he called it immediately but you know they had to get their evidence and get it signed what however it works yeah um so in the meantime gacy decided you know what these police are harassing me i need to hire an attorney so he hires an attorney goes down to talk to him you know i want to sue the police for harassment well supposedly while he was talking to his attorney about suing the police, he just casually mentioned, you know, I killed 33 people. (laughs) Okay. Well, attorney client privileges, he couldn't tell the police that. So instead he went outside, got the police that were trailing Gacy and said, guys, come in. Just, you just need to come in. Something's not right here. Just watch him. He had apparently taken a lot of Valium. Like he was, he was, a little on edge, I guess, at this point. Um, and he fell asleep in his attorney's office. So the, the police stayed there all night and woke up, or Gacy woke up and realized what had happened, saw the police there, and, like, I guess figured, you know, crap, I just told them I killed, told my attorney I killed people. Like, I need to get out of here. So he ran to his car and drove off. 
so um, there was two boys. Um, I, I forget the first name of the boy, but it was um, Rossi and then Michael Cram were two boys that had worked with Gacy, um, but nothing sexual ever happened with them. So they weren't really noted um, specifically. They didn't think anything was wrong. Right. So they were, they were literally just friends, I guess. Um, so he went to Cram's house, picked him up and said, you know what? I killed 33 people. I, I need to commit suicide. I can't live with this. So he wanted to go to his father's grave and kill himself. And on the way, they stopped at a diner. I guess he, he wanted to say goodbye to somebody. I don't really know. Um, stopped at a diner. And meanwhile, the police are still tailing them. Mm-hmm. They're behind them. Gacy went into the diner and uh, Cram went to the police car and said, he murdered all these people. Can you arrest him? So this is where the... <laughs> Can you arrest him? <laughs> like, you know, whatever. I'm not sure. I don't know what he said, but, you know. Um, and he, But he also told them he's got marijuana. Um, so they figured, you know, we can't obviously arrest him on murder charges that we don't have yet. Even mm-hmm. though I guess they knew that there was a warrant being issued for it because they had a suspicion so they arrested him on drug charges um brought him into the police station while gacy was at the police station he said oh you know my chest hurts like i need to go to the hospital like just another another big thing so they take him to the hospital and while he's in the hospital the police get a phone call the search warrant went through and they were at his house in the first shovel into the dirt they struck bones and arrested him right there in the hospital on 33 or you know whatever it ended up being was what he was charged with in the end so i think uh that was the discrepancy between where the where they actually arrested him like how they got Mm -hmm. him before the search warrant okay so yeah I didn't even know about the whole hospital thing until you had told me mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that was in the documentary series that I watched. Yeah, they detailed it really well. Mm-hmm. They had, um, in the Netflix series, they had a lot of actual footage of them um, digging up the bodies in the crossface. Wow. And mm-hmm. uh, just, like, floods of people outside of the house, like, mm-hmm. watching... Um, there was a lot of um, people who had, well, not a lot, but, like, there were some people that had a loved one that was missing, and they just wanted to see if, like, if yeah. they were there, like, and yeah. that's, and you don't even, I, that doesn't make much sense to me either, because you're not going to know, like, right away. Right. Like, right. But I think is... at that point, like, people are so desperate for any answers, you mm-hmm. know, and it's even, I mean, one of the unidentified uh, men I believe was just found like identified a couple years ago too oh really so yeah so I think um that it's it's still like that's just you're hoping for anything at that point um and for some of these families whose sons were not identified you know they're going to continue to hope and there were the last blood relative dies because that's where the search stops yeah, there was what eight identified unidentified. Mm-hmm. I think it's six now because two oh, were so they identified. Actually, okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think okay. one was in 17, <clears throat> and one was, I want to say 2021. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, excuse me, um, let's get into his arrest and trial. Um, as Devin so beautifully explained, um, Gacy was arrested on, we decided, December 21st, Mm -hmm. 1978. Um, during the initial interrogation, Gacy began confessing to the murders and even drew a map of where the bodies were buried under his house, but he refused to sign his statements, so it essentially meant nothing. Um, and in true psychopathic fashion Gacy tried to plead insanity and blamed an uncontrollable alter ego named Jack but the plea didn't pan out yeah Um, so which which is interesting because the um, psychiatric evaluations that were done in Iowa clearly state he is not well he's got some serious issues from what I understand it was the jury that had wanted nothing to do with the insanity plea like i don't i don't think that he would have gotten away with it anyway but it's really interesting to see how like the differences between a true insanity defense and just being like a complete psycho yeah um so so that since that didn't that didn't pan out Mm -hmm. um he went to trial in march 1980 was found guilty on all counts and he was sentenced to death. But yeah. he continued to uphold the victim narrative and even referred to himself as the 34th oh, victim. Yeah, well, poor John Gacy. Poor John Wayne yeah. Gacy. Um, so the two things I want to mention really quick, um, from what I understand, there was 26 jurors in this trial, which is the largest the of, yeah. in American history. Oh, wow. And that's also the yeah. amount of bodies that were under his, his, yeah. his uh, crawl yeah. space. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that has anything to do with it, but... It's <laughs> yeah, that is. Um, also, this is when um, Jeff Jeffrey Ringle comes back into play. He testified. Mm-hmm. He actually vomited on the stand. Oh, God. Retelling his story of what happened to him. Yeah. So, it was... It was I. I I don't know why. I probably would have vomited as well. (laughs) Yeah, like, pretty easy to, uh, to put this, this man I mean, it's also (laughs) this, this, yeah, and it's also, like, this, this guy who's probably, and I'm, um, Ringel, he's probably trying to move on from this, and is being, not forced, but, like, in order to help somebody get put away, having to relive probably the most traumatic moment of his life right and that happens i mean that happens a lot but like it's it gets sad yeah and it's i can't imagine like you know what kind of trauma he has had to deal with the rest of his life but at the same time like i i tend to think about things like this like you know i'm a big fan of like the law and order shows and all that Mm -hmm. like when victims testify and especially victims like like Jeffrey Ringel that went on to write a book about his experiences. Like he clearly dealt with it as best as you can expect. If he was mm-hmm. able to testify and like work through all of that to educate and inform people on what this man was actually like. So like good for him that because it takes a lot, I'm sure, to like yeah. you know, get through that and then to be able to write about it can't imagine 
so we're going to move on to his actual execution. Um, he <clears throat> spent 14 years on death row at the Maynard Correctional Center. Um, he took up oil painting. He painted Disney characters, celebrities, self-portraits. Here's a little fun fact for you. Mm -hmm. Johnny Depp owns one of his paintings. Really? Yep. Um, I have a little a little flag in my book here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, that's all it says. <laughs> Film director John Waters and actor Johnny Depp are some celebrities who own his paintings. That's interesting. And Gacy actually is an art dealer. <laughs> that's nuts. But, like, I think that there's... Well, I mean, he's dead now, but, like, I think that... So, who... I think there's a... I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm just thinking, like, obviously, after art, famous artists die, their yeah. money, you know, they still get money when their paintings sell. So, do we think that if someone buys Gacy's paintings, where does the money go? I think... I literally think that there is a law that says that if you are a criminal or... A murderer or something you can't earn money off of okay. things like that i hope so i think that, of it. yeah I they think should be giving it to the victims families exactly yeah yeah <laughs> um so on may 9th 1994 gacy was transported to the statesville penitentiary for his execution before the lethal injection could be administered, the IV got clogged, and because of this, the entire execution process took 18 minutes. Um, and Gacy's last words were, kiss my ass. Oh, you know. <laughs> um, and he was pronounced dead at 12.58 a.m. on May 10th, 1994. What a shame. Oh, <laughs> poor John. So, I wonder, summary, I wonder if the... The IV got clogged, and he's sitting there thinking, oh, I defeated you guys once again. I know. You're I not going right? to get me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why he said, kiss my ass. He's like, oh, yeah, so you got me. <laughs> um, so in summary, um, between 1972 and 1978, he had murdered 33 victims with eight unidentified, um, or six, as you had said. Um, there were 26 under his house, three were in his garage, and four bodies were hurled over a bridge on I-55 into the Des Plaines River. Um, I have a little fun fact. At age 18, and I mean, it's not fun fact because of, like, the, the end result of what happened, but um, an 18-year-old named Jason Moss became pen pals with Gacy and even met with him, but Moss later committed suicide. He had um, a few pen pals. yeah. That was that was just one that was in one of my books, so I thought I'd yeah. mention it. Um, yeah. A little, I'll ha I'll throw a little term out there for you that I wanted to put in last episode, but I didn't. A hybristophiliac is a person, often a woman, who is romantically obsessed with violent yeah. criminals. Yeah. Um, but I guess it doesn't always have to be a woman. Carol Hoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we see Carol you, Carol Ann Boone. <laughs> you know, Carol Ann Boone. It must be a Carol thing. <laughs> Have you seen the Ted Bundy movie, Carol Boone? Mm -hmm. mm. Who actually got pregnant by Ted Bundy well, well. while he was in prison. <laughs> um, what's like, what is, what is, I don't understand. What is the appeal? Like, oh, don't, you don't fucking know. murdered 33 people. I'm so know. turned on by that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to add? I don't think we're gonna so. wrap it up a little bit. I don't think so. Yeah. 
It didn't go go on as long as I thought it was going to. This could be one episode. Um, yeah. I'm just going to cite my work. Yep. Um, the books that I have gotten my research from, I have Sick and Twisted, The True Stories of Serial Killers and Why They Did It by Johnny Cassidy. That's actually a book that I got off of. Um, it's on Amazon Kindle. Like I got like a free trial and I was like looking at these and got it for free. So I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, can't beat free. Um, the Big Book of Serial Killers, an Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, Volume 1. I also have a Volume 2 mm-hmm. um, by Jack Rosewood and Rebecca Lowe. Um, I got some information from my Serial Killers Lightning Guide, number 10, which I mentioned last episode, and the True Crime Dictionary from Alibi to Zodiac by Amanda Lees, also I mentioned last week. Yep. So while yeah. you were, you were, you know, being really academic and reading all the books... <laughs> you were going I, online. I, I was going online. <laughs> I got some murderpedia.com, some Britannica.com, and some biography.com. And then as well as the Peacock series, John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. Yeah, was, I guess it was can, a, a great one if you guys yeah, are interested. I can, I can cite the John Wayne Gacy tapes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so. we, had, we had said earlier, I think they were the, the best sources as far as, you know, they they had him talking about yeah. it. They had his tapes, his interviews, his pen pals, his the the police like investigators, the survivors, like the one I watched mm-hmm. had had um his I believe his second wife and mm-hmm. his sister. So Carol. like I feel like I feel like if you really yeah Carol um if you really want to to really hear you know about it those are the best ones to watch Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so if there's nothing else you'd want to talk about about john wayne gacy that's that's the gist of it i mean that's we told a pretty kick-ass story if i do say so myself yeah i think it's it was it was a good one i mean like Mm -hmm. i said he's he kind of sets the stage for some really interesting men to follow yes so um, good place to start yeah we figured we start with a very well-known case <laughs> um there's going to be some lesser knowns mm-hmm. well-knowns maybe we'll go back and forth yeah um there's actually a couple that i want to talk about that are pretty local to us mm-hmm. um but that's that's the story that's that's, um, that's the clown guys <laughs> that's the killer clown <laughs> if you liked clowns before you don't now <laughs> um so everybody make sure you like and follow killers and coffee on facebook i haven't made an instagram or a twitter yet because i follow i have i'm in control of like five different instagrams right now um i don't know how to but, work twitter so it's all <laughs> you have to make one you have to make a personal twitter just for podcasting purposes um and just real quick, guys, if you're looking for a great sports bar, check out the final score sports bar and grill in Ben Salem. PA, tell them Killers and Coffee send you. And make sure to sign up for the karaoke contest starting Wednesday, June 8th, which is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I might join. It's like a $1,000 oh. prize. Really? I can yeah. sing some karaoke. Oh. I mean, your sister does too. <laughs> yes, she does. Oh, Brene, like, yo. <laughs> it's cousin outing. <laughs> um... Right. What else I say? Yeah, um, like all our stuff, follow our stuff. Um, we got all the social medias. Oh, and Killers and Coffee is now available on Amazon Music. 
I didn't tell you about that yet, but um, exciting! It's on Amazon Music. I'm working on Apple and Google Podcasts as well, so you just don't you don't have to use Spotify because there's some people that don't. Yeah, I I honestly before we started this, I had not ever used Spotify um, podcasts. I don't typically listen to Spotify music. I am Apple Music all the way, Apple Podcasts. So um, it's interesting well, Apple... to to see the Spotify side of things. Yeah, I'm just used to Spotify. So, yeah. and like with us using Anchor to record and stuff, like Anchor is like owned by Spotify. So yeah, yeah, and that's uh not paid for by Spotify that we said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just right, great, guys. guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say my new tagline: Come for the coffee, stay for the, stay crime. For the crime, stay for the crime. See you later. See ya. See ya later.